0: train yes all aboard a train sports talk podcast it's the train is building up ahead of steam picking up passengers along the way it's your conductor anthony smith the host of the a train sports talk podcast so grab your ticket get on board enjoy the ride this train is going to take you on a journey unlike ever before. Buckle up. The show is about to begin. Hey, what's happening? It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board
1: the A-Train. Hang on for the ride.
0: Welcome in to the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. And we have got some points of interest to get into. And if you recall, Aaron Rodgers broke his silence. And wouldn't you like to know what it is he has to say? I'm pretty sure you do. So we're going to get that because here's the question. Everybody, for some reason, has a fascination about Aaron Rodgers going to Denver and what it would take. But before we get there, Let's see what Aaron Rodgers had to say once he broke his silence. That is if we can pull that up. Well, we will try to effort that a little bit later. But what would it take for Denver to get Aaron Rodgers? Turns out Mike Shanahan was right. The former Denver Broncos coach once stood on a patio behind the team's suburban practice complex and grumpily lamented another question about another player the Broncos were said to have been interested in and whom Shanahan actually had no interest in. Everybody says we're in on everybody, Shanahan said almost two decades ago. Same thing every year. Sometimes we are, but most of the times we aren't. But if you're an agent and your guy is in the market or you want to be on the market, just say the Broncos are interested. Which brings us to the day when even in the land of spring skiing and Nikolai Jokic, thoughts turn to Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers. Tomorrow, which is right now, is June the 1st. Rogers is still unhappy. And we will still try to get to that interview. And the Packers soon get significant salary cap relief if they trade or release Rogers. If the Packers were to trade Rogers after June 1st, they would save $16.05 million in salary cap space in 2021, but would have a lot of explaining to do about trading a future. Hall of Famer. That doesn't mean it all comes crashing down on June 1st. It just means the immediate financial pain is greatly reduced and the rumor carousel spins faster. But who's kidding whom? Broncos people have filled their days with virtually every possible scenario for how Rodgers could be the team's quarterback since Adam Schefter's report last month. Just before the first round of the NFL draft. There's precedent to back up those dreams. Two Hall of Fame quarterbacks have, won Bron- have worn Broncos uniforms, and both were acquired, and not drafted. First is the greatest trade in franchise history, John Elway. And the second is the greatest. Is the, and second is the greatest free agent signing in franchise history, Peyton Manning. The Broncos have two quarterbacks, Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater, who are on site competing for the job on the field and in the building. They each gave their thoughts on the possibility of Rodgers joining the team last week, and both were rather pragmatic about the whole thing, even using the phrase, whatever happens, happens. Bridgewater added, honestly, man, I just keep my head down and control what I can control. I tell everyone that in this business that you have to have your big boy drawers on. I've learned a lot can happen in this business. So how real is this? It's worth noting that Packers coach Matt LaFleur, general manager Brian Gutenkunst, and team president Mark Murphy have all publicly professed to have, an, have no intention of trading Rodgers. But June marks the first time the Packers could formally respond to Rodgers' unhappiness if they wish they can fine Rodgers for missing mandatory practices, their three-day minicamp. Those fines, according to the league's collective bargaining agreement, could total 93085 if Rodgers missed all three days. If the Packers choose to fine Rodgers, it would undoubtedly irk the quarterback even more. Rodgers also could be fined $50,000 a day for the time missed during training camp. And if Rodgers were to retire, the Packers could attempt to recoup just under $30 million from him. As for the Broncos, General Manager George Patton didn't even utter Rodgers' name shortly after the draft's first round was completed. When asked about the Rodgers frenzy earlier that evening, Patton deflected to the team's selection of cornerback Pat Surtain the second at number nine. Why? Tampering. Since Rodgers is under contract with the Packers, teams cannot openly pursue or comment on him without the threat of fines or lost draft picks. But the Broncos said the San Francisco 49ers, Niners general manager John Lynch, acknowledged it after the draft are known to have inquired briefly about Rodgers' availability after Schefter's report on draft weekend. Both were rebuffed quickly, and the 49ers selected quarterback Trey Lance with the number three pick shortly after they had made the call. The Broncos selected Sertan instead of Ohio State quarterback Justin Fields or Alabama quarterback Mac Jones. So even though Sertain was the top defensive player on the Broncos draft board and someone Patton said was close to a top five overall, top five player overall, it could be a sign that the Broncos left the quarterback door ajar. So what were the nuts and bolts of a trade? Beyond whether the Packers could even entertain a trade this year, is the issue of cap room and draft capital needed to make a trade. Many in the league, when quizzed in recent weeks, said it would take two first-round picks, a second-round pick, and either additional players or additional picks to acquire Rodgers. The issue for Green Bay is that if Rodgers plays as expected, those are lower-value first-round picks. Most teams enter the draft each year with between 20 and 24 actual first-round picks grades on players. Any picks after 25 or so in the first round often is not actually a prospect graded in the first round. Patton, in the first year of a six-year deal, has consistently professed a desire to acquire more picks each year, not give them away. He wants more darts, as he put it. Surrendering so many top picks is a reason for a pause for a team that has missed the playoffs in five consecutive seasons. Having a team talented enough to make a Rodgers acquisition worth it is at the root of everything. It is what Elway was able to do as general manager after he signed Manning in 2012. Linebacker Von Miller had arrived the year before as a first-round pick, and the Broncos opened a checkbook exceedingly Wide in 2014 during a free agent spree that included cornerback Akib Taleb, defensive end Demarcus Ware, receiver Emmanuel Sanders, and safety T.J. Ward. Rodgers has cap charges of 37.202 million this season, 39.85 million in 2022, and 28.352 million in 2023. The Broncos don't have the salary cap room to add Rodgers total this year. They'd be about 13 million or so short without taking into account money spent to replace injured players. There also is the matter of timing. Manning signed in March 2012 and essentially lived in the Broncos facility for weeks to help shape a playbook. Even then the Broncos started wanting two and were a rather clunky-looking 2-3 and three with questions about whether it was all going to work before an 11-game win streak. A quarterback who arrives in June or July would have a tougher challenge. Even a player of Rogers caliber would likely have a rough transition in 2021. So the bottom line. Is a Broncos trade for Aaron Rodgers possible? Sure. Have the Packers given any indication it will happen? No. Have the Broncos done something like this before? Yes. And there are two gold jackets to prove it. And are the Broncos truly actually deep down interested? Enough to have called in April to see. So logic says if the Packers actually take calls, they would make one. In the end, if the Packers really aren't going to trade Rodgers this year, then it doesn't matter how many scenarios to acquire him are created for the Broncos or anyone else. But yes, Shanahan had it right all along. Welcome to June. So, what do you think? Do you think? Rodgers ends back up in Green Bay. Will Aaron Rodgers be taking snaps from under center this year? It remains to be seen. So the saga continues. And we'll be keeping an eye on on this situation as it develops. Also in some more news, Big Ben says the pay cut was actually his idea. Before we get there, I need to backtrack. I said I had that audio, and what we're going to do right now. Well, as it turns out, I still, yes, we now have the audio queued up. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and give you that audio aaron Rodgers finally broke his silence so enjoy i find it strange that the people have been
1: sort of conditioned to believe management is always right like like the players a bad guy because he stands up for himself management must be right because the loyalty to the team is paramount and then someone like you others richard sherman have kind of voiced that opinion like hey I, I'm, a, I'm a worker. I work for myself and my family, so I'm going to stick up for myself in whatever situation it is. God, that was a serious question. <laughs> that was a good question. You know, I think, I think sometimes people forget uh, what really makes an organization. And, uh, you know, history is important. Uh, you know, legacy of so many uh, people who've come before you. But the people... That's the most important thing, that people make an organization. People make a business. Um, and sometimes uh, that gets forgotten. You know, culture is built brick by brick, the foundation of it, by the people. You know, not by the, not by the organization, not by the building, not by the, the corporation. It's built by the people. And I've been fortunate enough to play with a number of amazing, amazing people. And got to work for some amazing people as well. And it's those people that build the foundation of those entities. And I think sometimes we forget that, you know. Are uh, you demanding with my, a trade? With, yeah, with my situation, look, it's, it's never been about, uh, you know, never been about the draft pick, uh, picking Jordan. I love Jordan. He's a great kid. Um, you know, he, he had A lot of fun to, to work together. Uh, I love coaching staff, love my teammates, you know, love the fan base in Green Bay. It's incredible, incredible 16 years. It's just kind of about a, a, a philosophy, you know, and and maybe forgetting that it is about the people that make the thing go. It's about, it's about character. It's about culture. It's about doing things the right way. And a lot of this was put in motion last year and uh, the wrench was just kind of thrown into it when I won MVP and played uh, the way I played last year. So this is just kind of, I think, uh, the, the spill out of all that. But, look, man, it is about the people, and that's the most important thing. Green Bay has always been about the people, from Curly Lambeau uh, being owner and founder to the 60s with Lombardi and Bart Starr and all those incredible names, to the 90s teams with Coach Holmgren and Farvey and the Minister of Defense, to the to run that we've been on. It's about It's about the people.
0: So there you have those comments from one Aaron Rodgers and he says it's all about the people. Basically, it sounds like he's saying it's not so much about the people in the front office but it's about the people that's on the field. It's the coaching staff. And you heard the one thing he said was he loves working with Jordan Love, He said he's a good kid. But you also heard him say a wrench was thrown into it when he won MVP and played the way he did. Which now poses this question right here. If Aaron Rodgers didn't have the MVP season that he had? Are we even having this discussion? If Green Bay doesn't have the season that they have on the cusp of a Super Bowl, is this even a moot point that we're even talking about Aaron Rodgers I think those are some legitimate questions. Unfortunately, we can't live off of what if, could have, should have, would have. So we're dealing with the present right now. I am going to just go ahead and go on record and say it like this. There won't be a trade. Aaron Rodgers may take some fines. We already know that he has not went to voluntary OTAs and that keyword is voluntary which means I guess he can voluntarily not go. But those camps that were mentioned where he could be fined there's a possibility he shows up or maybe he pulls Brett Favre. You know, Brett Favre was good for not showing up at camps. But come game day, he was ready. So could this be? Well, now nah, I'm not going to even say this is the Brett Favre 2.0 because this situation here is totally different. So what I'm going to do right now, I'm going to go ahead and pause for the calls. And when I come back, there will be some more NFL news. I guess our theme tonight will be looking at these quarterbacks. So, the pay cut idea. Roethlisberger says it was his idea. So we'll dive into that after these messages. So stay tuned. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. We'll be right back.
1: Your cousin from Boston. Say that.
0: So, welcome back to my next segment on the a Transport Talk podcast. Hope you are strapped in with your ticket. Of course, that ticket is free, so you're able to enjoy the ride wherever it may take us to. As I stated before I went to my last break, the idea for Ben Roethlisberger to take a pay cut was actually his. So let's see what Big Ben had to say in regards to this pay cut. What was your
1: reaction when the Steelers asked you to take a pay cut? Were you hurt? Were you surprised? Just what, what were your emotions? Ray it was my idea. Um, I told him I want to help the team out however we can. And so I went to them and told them that I would do whatever I could to help the team sign, you know, the, the guys that are going to help us win football games. I've been extremely blessed to play this game for a long time. And so, um, you know, that was one of the reasons I wanted to come back because I knew we had, a, obviously, a great defense and some, some amazing weapons on offense. And so I wanted to, to come back to be a part of what I think is a special football team that everyone's overlooking, which is kind of cool, too. And so in order to do that, to help you guys here, I felt that it was necessary to do that. What was your
0: reaction? So those are the words of one Ben Roethlisberger. Part of his reasoning for coming back, taking a pay cut. And the way that question was posed, it was, what was your reaction when the Pittsburgh Steelers asked you to take a pay cut? Because up until, I guess, basically this time, we're thinking that the Steelers asked him to take a pay cut, but Ben, as he said, was his idea. So with the disappointment of a first-round playoff loss to the Cleveland Browns, still fresh, Ben Roethlisberger made the immediate decision to return as the Pittsburgh Steelers quarterback. For at least another season. To add to that, to do that, though, he recognized that his $41.25 million cap hit was untenable. And he asked the front office for a pay cut so it could fill the roster holes around him. It was my idea, Roethlisberger said Tuesday, speaking publicly for the first time since that postseason loss. I told them I want to help the team out, however we can, and so I went to them and told them that I would do whatever I could to help the team sign the guys that are going to help us win football games. In order to do that, to get guys here, I felt that it was necessary to do that. Roethlisberger, thirty-nine. See, once again, we got these old guys playing quarterback in young man's league. Wow, I mean. Grandfather Breeze just recently retired, but we still have the seniors still playing. Roethlisberger, 39, reduced his salary by $5 million, signing a new contract that's set to void after the 2021 season. But even though the terms of the deal seem to set an expiration date on his tenure as quarterback, Roethlisberger wasn't willing to speculate on his future. I'm going to approach this like I do every season, like it's my last. He said, I think that's the approach you have to take. And you don't approach it that way because it could be your last, but you approach it because every single play in the game of football could be your last. Every game could be your last game. That just means I'm going to, that means I'm going out to give it everything I have. I have never looked towards the future. I've always looked at the right here and now. And that's what's important for me for this season is giving it everything I have right here and right now for this group of guys. Though the Steelers started on an 11-0 hot streak, their 2020 season fell apart in the final six games as Roethlisberger became inconsistent in his throws and decision making. I didn't play well enough at the end of the season, he said. It's no secret, and I'll be the first to point the thumb at myself. When the ball is in your hand every play, you have to make plays and play better football. If, if the quarterback, myself, isn't playing good football, that, especially late in the season, is related to winning and losing. I will take that playoff and those games on me just feeling worn down and not playing good enough football at the end of the season. Deep balls often missed the mark and he completed only 29% of passes thrown 20 yards downfield, 30th among qualified quarterbacks. Part of that Russell said can be attributed to the elbow surgery he had the year before. I had total reconstruction on my elbow. That might have something to do with it. He said, But no excuses. My arm was healed. Obviously, I played. It was healthy. But I think anybody that has a big surgery, it almost takes like that first year back. You are back, but you really, but are you really back and feeling great? Roethlisberger, though, isn't measuring how much better the elbow feels until later in the season. My arm feels great, though, he said. I would like to wait to answer that question until we get into more of this season and see how it feels. Right now, it feels really good. A year ago, Roethlisberger increased his normal off-season throwing volume as part of his rehabilitation. But this year, things are back to normal. Last year, I threw thousands of balls in the off-season because we were rehabbing, Roethlisberger said. This year, it has gone back to the normal routine of throwing here, doing a little bit at home with the trainer. But mostly taking time off. I took a lot of time off from throwing. So I hope and think and really believe it will pay dividends this year. And as we keep this NFL theme going. Before we decide to shift gears. Sources the Buffalo Bills restructure contract a wide receiver Stefan Diggs The Buffalo Bills converted more than $11.7 million of wide receiver Stephon Diggs' base salary into a signing bonus, a source told ESPN's Field Yates saving the team roughly $8 million of salary cap space Diggs was slated to make roughly $12.7 million in base salary in 2021 that figure is now down to 990000 Buffalo, meanwhile, now has 11084995 nine hundred ninety five in cap space per spot track. The timing of Diggs' reconstruction, restructured deal comes as teams can take on less dead cap money after a June 1 trade or release. And will generate some curiosity as multiple players, including Philadelphia's Zach Ertz and Atlanta's Julio Jones, are expected to be moved from their current teams. It also creates more breathing room for the Bills, who have yet to sign first round pick Greg Rousseau or third-round pick Spencer Brown. There's also the matter of an upcoming extension for quarterback Josh Allen who finished as the league's MVP runner-up in 2020. Bills GM, Brandon Bean, has publicly expressed interest in signing Allen long-term. Interest Allen has reciprocated over the past year. Bean said a deal likely won't be done until this summer at the earliest, but didn't rule out negotiations extending into next offseason. Either way, SpotTrack estimate Allen's market value at $42.2 million per year, which would make him the second-highest paid player in the league. Diggs, the NFL's leader in receptions and receiving yards last season, is not only the Bills' player to rework his contract this offseason. Buffalo has also agreed to restructure or pay cuts with Mitch Morse, Vernon Butler, and Mario Addison. So, there you have some more NFL news right there. So, what I'm going to do, I'm going to go ahead and take another break here. And when I come back. As you heard Teddy Bridgewater say, I'm going to use his line, whatever happens, happens. So stay tuned. This train is going to take you on an unpredictable ride. It's the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor, Anthony Smith. Anthony Smith here with A-Train Sports Talk Podcast, your conductor. Just want to let you know that this podcast is listener-supported. That's right, driven by you, the listener, who want to support. So click on that support button down there. You have three options, $0.99 cents a month, $4.99 a month, or 9 dollars a month will get your ad rent on this podcast. So click the support button. Your support will be greatly appreciated. Once again, Anthony Smith with the A-Train Sports Talk Podcast. Want to enhance your workout? Try the workout bands everyone is talking about. Three different resistance levels. Light, medium, and heavy. Only at www.cakeybums.com That's www.cakeybums.com www.cakeybums.com To enhance your workout, with the resistance bands that everyone is talking about. Hey, what's happening?
1: It's Rick Thomas with Running the Table, and you already know you are on board the A-Train. Hang on for the ride. Welcome back to my
0: last segment and in this segment what I want to look at are is some news that is shaping the landscape of HBCU schools as we know them and if you will recall when I started my podcast one of the things I said was I wanted to look at HBCU schools and highlight them because they just don't get a lot of talk And, of course, when Deion Sanders became coach at Jackson State University, it became big news. Well, Coach Prime in Jackson State is still making news, just not the news that you would expect. Or maybe you can't expect this. Maybe the writing's on the wall. After all, Jackson State played this spring season... And there was some talk that it was said that this is actually the B team. Mm, the B team. Were they keeping the benches warm and whatever else warmed up until the A team arrives? Which would be for the fall season? Well, the latest to enter the transfer portal. Jackson State leading receiver Dalen Baldwin enters the transfer portal. Another prominent Jackson State contributor has entered the transfer portal. Wide receiver Jalen Baldwin announced Tuesday that he will no longer be with the team. The 6'3", 210-pound junior led Jackson State in receiving with 540 yards and seven touchdowns during the spring season. He went on his Instagram and posted this today. After a long process of back and forth and nonstop thinking, I've decided to enter my name in the transfer portal. I appreciate Coach Prime and the entire JSU coaching staff for all the opportunities and experiences afforded to me. I want to send love to all the amazing fans for all the support on and off the field. I have learned so much from JSU while also having fun and enjoying my college experience. But God has something different in place for me is always love JSU. Baldwin was named a finalist for the Connerly Trophy which is given annually to the best football player in the state of Mississippi by the Mississippi Sports Hall of Fame. Baldwin was also named the SWAC Newcomer of the Year and voted to the All-SWAC Football First Team Offense. Baldwin had been one of many Tigers to enter the portal since the end of the regular season, including quarterbacks Jalen Jones and Quincy Casey. So, the never-ending revolving door known as the transfer portal is still rearing its ugly head at Jackson State University. Also in other related HBCU news, if we can pull that up right now, North Carolina A&T men's 4x400 meter relay team records fastest time in the world for second time this season. The foursome of Stokes, Stewart, Ross Jr., and senior Akeem Sirleaf topped that world's fastest time on Friday night by finishing at 259.21. The North Carolina A&T men's outdoor track and field 4x400 relay team did it again, and that's only a fraction of the story. From Friday night at the University of North Florida's Hodges Stadium during the 2021 NCAA Division I East Preliminary Round, the Aggie men qualified eight more athletes for the 2021 NCAA Division I Track and Field Championships June 9th through 12th in Eugene, Oregon. They will send nine men to the Nationals after junior long jumper Brandon Qualified on Wednesday. NCANT 9 Aggies will be competing in nine different events. That is a new school record, topping the old mark from 2019 when the Aggies qualified seven male athletes in seven various events. That alone is worthy of praise, but the way the Aggie men did it is worthy of reverence. The 4x400 meter relay team toppled records. Freshman Javante Harding and Randolph Ross Jr. each qualified for nationals in three different events. Senior Trevor Stewart now owns two of the fastest 400 meter times in NCAA East Regional history. North Carolina a won the 4x400 4 Indoor National Championship with the foursome of junior Daniel Stokes, seniors Trevor Stewart and Elijah Young, and freshman Randolph Ross Jr. Earlier this season, earlier this outdoor season, they posted the world's fastest time at the University of Texas by crossing the finish line in 3 minutes 23 seconds. The foursome of Stokes, Stewart, Ross Jr., and senior Akeem Sirleaf topped that world's fastest time on Friday night by finishing at 259.21. Their time is also a Hodges Stadium facility record and a new standard for Division I track and field regionals east or west. It is also the third fastest time in NCAA history. They just missed breaking the NCA record, which LSU still holds at 259. Many more superb accomplishments happened during the 4 by 400 team came to the track. Before the 4 by 400 team came to the track, earlier in the day, the 4 by 100 team of Ross Jr., Sirleaf, Harding, and Stokes ran the fastest qu- quarter. Final qualifying time at 38.54. It is the fastest time in NCAA regional history, east or west, topping the University of Arkansas's time of 38.66, set in 2015's West Prelim. It is the second fastest time in the NCAA this season behind the University of Houston's 38.49, and it is a Hodges Stadium facility record. There are also some outstanding individual performances starting with Stewart and Ross Jr. Both men won their respective heats, with Stewart crossing the line at 44.59 seconds. It is also it is the second fastest time in East Prelim history. Stewart 526 21, 523 19, and the University of Kentucky's Dwight St. Hilaire 524 18, and 525 18 have recorded 44.55 time two times each. Ross Jr. won his heat at 44.86 to qualify for nationals. He ran the third fastest time in East preliminary history on Wednesday at 44.63. He ran the eighth fastest time in the East regional history on Friday. Harding showcased his talents on Friday as well, in addition to competing in the 4x100. At Nationals, he will also compete in the 100 and 200 meter. He secured a personal best of 10.08 in the 100. It is the fastest 100, and Aggie has ever run at a regional topping Christopher Belcher's 10.13 in 2017. In the 200 meter, Harding posted a 20.33 to guarantee himself another event at the Nationals. I'm extremely proud of these young men, said NCANT Director of Track and Field Program, Dwayne Ross. This was a tough week of competition, and they handled it like champions. Both relays were exciting. Akeem relief ran on both and did an excellent job of leading the teams. Junior Corey Poole, fifth-year senior, Abbas Abkar, and senior Akeem Lindo will also be on the plane headed to Eugene. Poole qualified in the 110-meter hurdles with a time of 13.64. Abcar is back at nationals. He qualified in the 800 meter with a time of 148.22 Abcar reached the NCA nationals with a in 2018 as a Savannah State Tiger Lindu Returns to the nationals after recording a 50.40 in the 400 meter on Friday He will be making his second career appearance in the 400 meter at Nationals after qualifying in 2019. The Aggie women will get their turn at making history when they compete at Hodge Stadium on Saturday. So there is some HBCU news that you could possibly use. And I think what I want to do I want to close out on this note right here because as college baseball gears up for its regionals and roll to the college world series. How about historic season earns Jackson State first ever HBC? U Baseball National Championship. So I think this would be a good way to close out. The Tigers finished the season thirty four and nine one of only two division one teams with a with single digit losses during the season jackson state sits atop the final black college nines hbcu large school top 10 poll of 2021 Tigers finished the season 34-9, one of only two Division I teams with single-digit losses during the season, and topped each of BCN's top 10 regular season weekly polls in 2021. This is Jackson State's first HBCU national title. After an incredible run in the regular season, Jackson State fell just short in the SWAC tournament championship game, thus denying the Tigers the opportunity to further postseason play. North Carolina Central, ending its baseball program after the 2021 season, finished second in the poll, followed by number three, Southern University, and number four, Norfolk State. The Jaguars and the Spartans moved up in the final rankings by advancing to the NCAA regionals after winning their, after winning their respective SWAC and conference championships. Two SWAC squads are next as Alabama State finishes at number five, followed by Prairie View A&M at number six, Florida A&M finishes the season at number seven, followed by North Carolina A&T at number eight, Gremlin State at number nine, and Delaware State finishes at number 10 in Black College Nine's final 2021 top 10 poll. In the small school division with Black colleges, with Black College World Series champion Bluefield State University and runner-up Xavier University of Louisiana being locked into the number one and number two spots. West Virginia State University finishes in the number three slot, Mountain East Conference champion. West Virginia State moves on to the NCAA Division II Regional Tournament. Savannah State finishes at number four, and Albany State concludes the season at number 5 in Black College 9's final top 10 poll. Miles College, Benedict College, Kentucky State, Russ College, and Florida Memorial University round out the small school top 10. So there you have some baseball news from the HBCU perspective. So what this is going to do, this is going to bring this train to a temporary halt until the next time. Hope you have enjoyed the ride. This is your conductor, Anthony Smith. And until the next time, take care of yourself and each other.